what you would have us do. And, and we just ask that our minds and our ears be open and our hearts be open to you. We give you all glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Hang on to, to Mike. We'll have you uh, read on the very first scripture that we'll have read. Uh, we're, we're talking about seven pictures the Lord gave me, and these seven pictures make up seven values. What do we mean by it? When we use the word value, uh, what comes to your mind? These are seven values of Valley View. What comes to mind? What's a synonym? Okay, things that we hold dear, that we live by. They're kind of our creed. They're part of our vision. They're part of our makeup. They're part of our DNA. These are seven biblical pictures that the Lord showed me that the church should look like this. And the second one is a hospital. Now, when you think of a hospital, what comes to mind? Sick people. Your, your leg. <laughs> oh, my life. That's, that's cute. <laughs> Bills. Well, we're not going to go with the bills, that's for sure. Babies. Healing. Help. Care. People. Caregivers. Wonderful. Love this. All right. Wounded. Absolutely. Absolutely. Disease, sickness, woundedness. You guys are covering it all. You're covering both sides of it. Yeah. Oh, a place where you can get sick. (laughs) That is absolutely true. And if you let your mind go with that a little bit, uh, could that happen in the church? Uh, We're actually going to cover a point later. I hope hope the Lord will help me remember to cover it. uh, What kind of hit on what Lisa just shared? Well, in this class, we're going to discuss these two points. We're going to look at the hospital in these two respects. A place of care, or you can use the word healing, a place of healing, a place of of care. And then we're going to look at a birthing center. So that whenever the Lord was showing me this picture of a hospital, Valley View should be a place of healing. Yeah? Does that make sense? Sure it does. should be a place of care, caring for people. That makes sense. It should also be a birthing center. And that doesn't mean that all of that takes place within this building. It means those who make up this local expression of the big body of Christ. Wherever we're at, we can be doing this stuff. And, and in a sense, it's still kind of Valley View because it's, our, 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 it's the church. Not Valley View, it's the church. We're being the church. So we're going to be looking at that. Why don't we, I'll read this main scripture here. You guys just follow along if you would. Matthew twelve twenty. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You might want to... I'm going to seal a, I'm going to read that again and then just pause for a moment. Let that soak into your spirit. I have needed this scripture occasionally in my life. And I've known so many people that have. And I've... This, This scripture breathes hope. Let me read it again. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick. That means your fire is almost out. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. 
So even if you're struggling, smoldering, wounded, the Lord is for you. Psalms 87.5, Indeed of Zion it will be said, and this is the flip side now, we're talking about a birthing center. Indeed of Zion, and Zion is, according to Hebrews, is another name for the church. We know it was Israel in the Old Testament, but it's another name for the church. So indeed of the church it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. So we want to talk first of all about a place of care and healing, a hospital being a place of care and healing. Now, we're going to look at a story here, and that's a lot to read. So the scriptures are in there. If you guys will pay attention, and each person just read one scripture, pass the mic, just keep passing it. When it gets down to Steve, just pass it back this way. And then when it gets down here, we'll just pass it back that way, because we've got a lot of scriptures today. So Mike, go ahead and start with that first one. It's kind of by itself, standalone. 1 Corinthians 12.25, the members should have the same care for one another. And by the way, this is one of those 31 another's, caring for one another. And just before you start reading, Anna, we're going to let, in a sense, we're, we're borrowing this teaching from Jesus. We're going to use two stories that Jesus used about the hospital. He doesn't use the word hospital, but that's the picture. And so I'm actually borrowing his teaching. And here's one of the stories that we're going to use tonight, his teaching on this. Luke chapter 10, 30-37. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samarian, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What we don't have on here is a, a little dialogue between this guy and Jesus ahead of time. This man walks up to Jesus and he says, uh, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, answers with the question, he says, what does the scripture say? And this man really answers very wisely, considering that he's from an Old Testament perspective. He says, well, the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes, wow, that's a good answer. I mean, because that's what I teach. You just answered right. You do those two things and you'll have eternal life. And then the man wanting, the Bible says, wanting to justify himself. Now this is where it got a little ugly. What does it mean when it says wanting to justify himself? What was he wanting to do? He wanted an out. 
He wanted an excuse. So he says, okay, but who is my neighbor? I mean, that's a pretty loaded thing, Jesus. Who's my neighbor? And so Jesus, thankfully, this conversation took place because Jesus allowed it to become part of that inspired word of God, and then he taught us. He says, I'm going to teach everybody now who your neighbor is. This is going to, from now on, when people say, when I say love your neighbors yourself, they're going to think of this story because this is what I have in mind. I'm not necessarily talking about the person who lives at 148 Concord Farm Road right next to me. It could be that person. But this is what I mean by neighbor. Now, what we're going to do on this, I'm going to get a little feedback, a little help from you guys. I'm going to give you a verse that you just read, one of the verses. You look at it, and we're going to go sequentially. We're going to go in order. And then you guys tell me what you see in that, and then I'll throw up what I saw in it. Because this is all about caring. We're talking about the healing center, the caring center right now, who our neighbor is. And, and, and if we're going to love our neighbor, this is what we should be doing. So verse 30, you guys look at it, and then just anybody, just speak it out, all right? What do you see in that? Verse 30. Mistreatment. Good word. Wounded. Anybody else? And again, somebody may grab your word that you were going to say. That's fine. Hurt. Bruised. Robbers. Half dead. Broke as in no money. All right, let me go ahead and put up here. Just in a general sense, I put the wounded. This represents our neighbors, anybody who's wounded. Now, who is the chief robber, according to the Scripture, according to Jesus? John 10.10. Who's the chief robber? Satan Satan is. He came to do what? Steal, kill, destroy. So we have all kinds of people out there who have been ripped off, robbed by Satan, wounded by Satan, hurt by Satan. And a lot of those kind of people come into our church. One of the things that Valley View's history, and I'm so grateful for this, uh, from what I understand, this has always been kind of a healing place for people to come. Well, it should be. Every church should be that. But this church, I guess that's one of our strengths because it's been noted as a place I wrote down a few people. I wrote down Lisa's name because when she came, she was wounded. Vicky came shortly after. She was wounded. The Kings came in. They were devastated when they came in. The DeWillises, when they came in, they were wounded. My family. Your family. I didn't have them down, but I remember the first time you came on Mother's Day. And Janet came up and sang. Your mom was broken. I remember talking to Bobby on the phone for many, many times. She would call up just crying and weeping because she'd been through such a heartbreak. And God has sent these wounded people here, and they become our responsibility to love them and care them. And most of those people on that list, in fact, every one of those people on that list, I'm not saying we've always succeeded, but the people on that list, they've been healed up, and now they're out doing the same stuff for other people. I can remember coming into a church I've spoken here about a six-year dark time for Linda and I that we went through. 
And it, it was a time that we didn't know if we were ever going to come to the end of it. And it was a very discouraging, very depressing time, very hard time. And I remember um, we left the church and we went to another place and I walked into this church and the pastor there in the church just received us and loved on us. Now, I'd been in ministry for a while. So it was just kind of a unique experience for me to be on the other side. But I sat there and I just soaked it in. And then there was this guy who came through singing. I have no idea what his name is. I know he was a vineyard singer. And he came through and he was singing. And when he got done, I remember, and this is a church of about 300 people, and they all knew that I had pastored. But I just, I didn't care. I was so hurting, so needing healing. And I remember walking up to the front when it was over. This man saw, I guess, the pain, and he just held out his arms. And I remember I just went up and laid my head on his chest, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried, and he just held me close. Now, that night, along with just what that church did for us, is a lot of the reason why we're here tonight, why we didn't quit. Somebody said, the church often buries its wounded. And that's far too often the case. But God wants us to be part of the healing ministry for wounded people. And there are a lot of wounded people. A lot. You work with some. Your neighbors are some. You may cross them. They may be a total stranger like this one. Total stranger that you just happen upon. And God wants, we get the privilege of doing what that man did for me that night. Being part of the healing that God has. Hmm. Wounded people. Ah, I've got to remember not to show it. Verse 31, verse 32, what do you see? What's that? Hypocrisy. Wow. That's a strong word. Apathy. Another strong word, both of which I think are probably true. Rejection. Just think how this person must have felt. Okay. Are you talking about the, the ones that walk by? Ah, okay. Okay. Well, we don't know. We don't know. What I would say is, unless I'm unaware of something, the person who was wounded, we don't even know what he was. He, he was robbed. We, we don't know his nationality. We don't know. No. Yeah, so we don't really know. He was probably a Jew that just was going along this way. By the way, in history, this was a, actually a very dangerous place where a lot of people were robbed. 
Uh, so he was robbed and beaten and left for dead. So I don't know. I know like the lepers, yes, they had to cry out unclean and people stayed away from them. So I don't know if that really fits here, Anna. Yeah, it may. It may. I may not be aware of it. But, but regardless, regardless, that did apply in some other cases where they had to cry out unclean. Anybody else? Avoidance. Avoid. I love these words. I'm glad the Lord told me to do it this way because I'm, I'm, I'm just listen to what you're hearing. Hypocrisy, apathy, avoidance, the different things that we've heard. And then we'll kind of apply it to what the Lord kind of gave me. Religion will always pass by. Uh, Jesus, Jesus had incredible patience for the loss. He had incredible patience for his disciples. I mean, incredible patience for his disciples. But there was one group, and you can't, you can't read the Gospels and not see it. I mean, they made him angry. He had very little patience for them. What group was it? It was the religious, it was the religious hierarchy, the religious people. They were more interested in their rules he would heal somebody on the Sabbath, hospital. He would heal somebody on the Sabbath. And they were more interested. You can't do that. That's work. And he would look at him and say, and if your donkey fell into a ditch today, what would you do? Oh, he seethed, called them serpents, sepulchers. I mean, what? One of the messages, I hope and pray, I never had to preach a message like this. You'll have to read it, where he calls them hypocrites. Religion, it's interesting, a priest and a Levite, both of those represented religion. And they both, for whatever reason, whether it has something to do with what Anna said, or whether it was just, you know, I don't want to get my hands dirty, or I'm busy, or whatever. They said, no, 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 no. And they walked right by him. Religion, the thing that was supposed to be the, the beacon of hope, passed right by. Went right by. All right. Verse 33. All right. This person treated the way he would want to be treated. Compassion? Watchful. What? Yeah, watchful. Love? Love. Caring? Caring. Accepted. Accepted him? What's that? He did what was right. He was obedient. He was obedient. Great, great words. The Samaritan. He was by the Jews. And this may be where you're kind of getting this from, Anna. He was despised and he was considered different. It's interesting. Who does Jesus pick? Now, we don't know for sure that the wounded person was a Jew, but we can almost assume that it was a Jew. And who does Jesus pick to minister to the Jew? The one that the Jews looked down their nose at and considered less than. 
It purposely picks a Samaritan in the story. It just absolutely blows my mind. Because he's messing with this guy's mind. He's going, I'm going to take this story now another degree. I'm going to take it another step. You're really going to see what a neighbor is now. Because a neighbor is the person that you're prejudiced against. And when I look at this particular point, it was a Samaritan who stopped. What I see is that when we're talking about care, we have to be colorblind. And when it comes to status in society, we have to be status blind. We can't favor the rich over the poor. Neither can we favor the poor over the rich. We're status blind. We can't reach out only to whites and ignore Hispanics or blacks. Likewise, we can't just reach out to people of color and ignore the whites. In other words, that doesn't play a part. Your neighbor could be any of those. He was technically family. And yet very, very, very much rejected part of the family. Kind of half-breeds the way they looked at them. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Sometimes the hardest thing is to reach out to people in our own family. I mean, sometimes we can have the most love and care for other people, and so we don't. Need, we can't even. We have to be family blind in a sense. So we, this point, I mean, the whole story. I'm listening to Jesus teach, and when he said a certain Samaritan, this guy's like. You know, he probably had to get over his prejudice right then, right there. A Samaritan stopped? Yeah, it was a Samaritan who stopped. So we have to be colorblind. You can write this scripture down. You won't be responsible for it, but it's a reference. James 2, 1 through 9. Literally, this is a quote from it. If you show partiality, you are committing sin. When, when God's people show partiality, and there James uses the example of when you show partiality toward the rich and you ignore the poor, he said you're sinning. But it could be any partiality. Any partiality. All right, let's go on. Ah, once again, verse 33. Now, I know you looked at it. Look at it again. Not the person. What else do you see in there? And if there's nothing else we see, because we pretty well covered this pretty good. He Okay, I'm just going to stop us right there, because that's, that's, that's what I have. This took time. This was inconvenient. It's interesting, Mary Lou, you just said he went... Over to the other side. I See, I think everything Jesus said was intentional. He's teaching. He's using a story, but he's teaching. The others, they were on the side, and they went to the other side to avoid. This man went to the other side. He was on the opposite side, but he went over to help. It was inconvenient. Isn't it so true that a lot of serving is often inconvenient. Um, I, I fear that I can only speak for what I see in the American church. 
that I think we have made disciples of what I would say disciples of convenience. If I'm not too busy, if I don't have anything going, I'm not hungry. Now again, I, I, there's a balance to all this. There is. There's a balance to all this. I mean, sometimes people could just bug the daylights out of you, whatever. But we're talking about needs here. Needs. And I don't want to be a disciple of convenience because sometimes, oftentimes, it will be inconvenient. It will take time when I'm on a, I'm headed somewhere. I'm doing something. And this is going to take time. It's inconvenient. So when he says your neighbor, sometimes your neighbor is going to be inconvenient. Jordan, I was talking to him. Some of you may have seen with it. Our request during the last two days, now last day of prayer, and if you didn't get this email, we're asking for prayer. They're, they're facing, they, and these are some kids that are coming from the outside into the youth group, but they're sensing almost a common thread of oppression among some of these kids. And it's serious oppression on top of that, and I won't go into any details. But, but he, said, he, he just said, we need spiritual breakthrough. He said, we just we need a Holy Spirit spiritual breakthrough because it's beyond him. It's over him. And he got a call Monday night, and I think this is what triggered him calling me and asking for prayer. And uh, he was in the middle of sleep. In fact, it, it, it rang for a long time before he woke up, and then he didn't get it before it went to voicemail. And it, he said, it took me a while to even register, and I listened to the voicemail, and it was a very serious situation. Middle of the night. Middle of the night. Sleeping time. Job the next day. But this was critical. Now again, somebody calls me in the middle of the night and says, oh, I got a headache. I'll sit there and go, and you're calling me? What? But I've been called many times in the middle of the night. Sitting down, getting ready to eat. You get that call. Getting ready to watch the Browns game. That's not an <laughs> Jim, edit that from the... <laughs> I think I shared here the story that, uh, that the Browns, they were in the playoffs playing Denver. And I, I had shared, I, I, some of you will remember this whenever I... Some of you will remember me sharing this when I tell it. But I, I literally told the church. And I, I was jokingly said it, but they knew I was pretty serious too. I said... So unless it's really important, don't call. So, and I was glued to the television. I was watching the Browns in the playoffs. And, and I mean, it was about 20 minutes into it. Phone rings. Rich, Dennis Stars. What's he want? He says he wants to come by. This better be important. Better be important. So he comes by, and I go to the door, and of course I didn't look at him, so this better be important. And you know, I put on my, my hypocritical smile. <laughs> say, hey, how you doing, brother? And he's just he's shooting the bull. For about five minutes, just talking about anything in there. I mean, just nothing. In, and I'm seething on the inside. 
I'm like, what? And then all of a sudden he goes, oh. And he reached in and he handed me a check. And he said, the Lord told me if you would answer, I was supposed to give you that. Enjoy the game. See ya. <laughs> and I opened up the check. And it was a check for $200. Dennis, come back anytime you want, brother. <laughs> Point taken, serving is often inconvenient. Often. Now, but he was joking. I mean, he wanted to bless us. And he joked around doing it. But it is. It is. And so when Jesus is teaching, he says, look, this guy had to go across to the other side. And he was probably on a, you know, he was probably busy. He was probably head somewhere. Probably had things to do. Probably had a list like I do. Needed to get things done. All right. Go on. 34. Bandaged his wounds. What's that? Caregiver. Oil. What was that? Generous. Yeah. He's given of things that were probably costly. Took care of him. Yeah. Yeah, he did some. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you what, because we're going to have two points in this one. I was going to ask you to go back, so yeah, that's part of 34 as well. Yeah, he t- took the man, put the man on his donkey. Yeah. Anything else you see in here? Yeah, this, this, was, this was not a cheap, cheap thing, and it was unexpected. Yeah, he, he uh, saw him. I mean, we can just ignore things. Or sometimes we just, you know, I've often alluded to the fact, how many things have I missed just because I'm not spiritually attentive like I should be? And I'm not beating, you know, I don't want you to think that I'm just condemning myself, beating myself up. I'm just telling the truth. And I want to learn from that. How many things have I maybe passed by just because I was not intentional passing by, but I just didn't even see it. So sometimes we have to be looking. Sometimes we have to kind of be discerning. Sometimes you have to go, oh, that, this person's giving me a little signals here that they're hurting bad. They're not coming out and saying I'm hurting bad, but I think I'm hearing something here. He took the best care of him that he could there, and he took him to a place where his care could be continued. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. So if he's on the donkey, what's this guy doing? He's walking. Wow. All right. Care. You guys said it. Holy Spirit. What are oil and wine symbolic of? Again, Jesus was, very, I believe, being very intentional in the words he chose. Throughout Scripture, what do what both of those symbolize in the Scripture? The Holy Spirit. Both of them do. The wine, the new wine, and also... The oil is symbolic of anointing. So it was, I think 
that for us as we look at the church, yes, sometimes it will involve material things. It will. But sometimes it's not material at all. Silver and gold I don't have. But I can give you some oil and wine, such as I have, give I you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, because this is a lot better than me giving you silver and gold. So I think that to be effective, we have to have that anointing. That's what Jordan, I mean, that's what he's crying out for. I so respected it, because he's just saying we need a Holy Spirit breakthrough. Oil and wine, because that's the ultimate healer. See, we're not the healer. Jesus is. He uses us as His church to be His body, His hands, His feet. And so we're hands-on. We're doing it. But we're not the healer. We have to always remember that it's going to take some oil and it's going to take some wine. It's going to take the Holy Spirit to really bring healing. The inn. He took him to an inn. That could be symbolic of a place of continual care. So you try to get them connected to a church that you know will care for them or a small group that will care for them. Connecting is is so important because the truth of the matter is even this man knew this is a one-time thing for me. I'm, I'm really going out of my way here. I'm taking you. But he knew he couldn't do this long term. He couldn't. I mean, we still have schedules. We still have life. We still have jobs. And so this man did the next best thing he could do. I'm going to take you to a place and I'm going to say, take care of this guy. So he passed him on now to where he could receive continual care and healing. And for us, that could be symbolic of, I put church and cell, that's just an example, two examples. It could be other just small group. It could be a, a Christian friend. Might be putting them in a home. Some place where they'll get continual care. I want to make sure this person gets healed. I don't want to leave now. I have to go, but I want to make sure they get healed. Up, oh, almost put it up there. Okay, thirty-five. Oh, that's good. I love hearing what you guys have to say. Some of these are, some of what you say is not up here. Yeah, once again, this is probably going to be expensive. I, you know, I can't stay. You know, sometimes we cannot be the hands-on. Sometimes, you know, sometimes giving money is a cop-out, but sometimes supporting those who can do it is the only thing we can do. And so we give to somebody who's already doing that sort of thing. We say, here, let me help you out in that ministry because you're caring for this person. And if it costs any more, let me know. Because I can't be hands-on. You can. You can continue this. I can't. And I want to make sure it gets done. A promise was made. Anybody else? All right. He was committed to this, to the finish, to see it finish, to see healing come. Another scripture that just comes to my mind, well, maybe, no, it might be on your notes. I don't know if it is. It actually is on my notes. No, I wrote it down. 
Philippians 1.6. Is that on your notes? You don't have to look it up now. You can just write down that reference. It would be right there if it was. It would be right underneath. I think it's just on mine. Philippians 1.6. The Bible says, being confident, Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Jesus is committed to us to the end. So we want to make sure. Now that's, that's the first part of the hospital. Jesus teaches a story, and he goes, okay, now in this story, who was the neighbor? Now the guy gets it. Oh, so loving my neighbor, my neighbor could be anybody. Yeah. Anybody who's wounded, anybody who's hurting, anybody who needs help. And you're my feet, you're my hands, you're my body. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. We are, I like what one person said, we are Jesus with flesh on. And I hope you understand that. That's not being sacrilegious. That's not taking anything away from the Lord. But we are Jesus with flesh on. When we reach out and touch somebody, it's the Lord who's touching them. But sometimes just that physical touch, it's amazing. That guy who held me in his arms. And what I saw, what is really neat, I've only had a few visions in my life, but one of the visions I had was right when that pastor, that singer was holding me in his arms, and I saw myself running through a field, and Jesus was beckoning me, and he was just smiling, beckoning me, coming, and I was running toward him, running toward him, and then he pointed to this water, and, and he, I knew he wanted me, and I just jumped in, and he just started laughing. And the whole time, I'm just crying and crying, but there was this, this healing going through me. But the physical touch that Jesus with flesh on was the man who had been came to sing. He had no idea that at the end some guy was going to come running up and just lay his head on his. He had no idea. But he went with it. So glad he did. Well, let's flip now. We've talked about a place of care and hearing. Jesus is going to tell us another story. And now we're going to talk about a birthing center. Probably one of the most fun places in a hospital is is the birthing center. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, once in a while you'll have a tragic thing happen there. But for the most part, it's just a place of incredible joy. And it's the same way in the church. A church, the church, and again, not confined to Sunday morning, not confined to walls, but the church should be involved in the birthing of people into the kingdom of God. All right. Point A, you must be born into the kingdom. That's the only way people get into this kingdom. They have to be born again. There's no other way. They can't join Valley View and be part of the kingdom They have to be born again. So if we wanted to take people with us into eternity, we need to make sure we see as many people born again as we possibly can. We want to have lots of babies. All right, Scripture. John 3.3, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. All right. Now this this is the heart of the entire Godhead. The, the whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus tells the story. Again, I'm going to let Jesus tell his story now. 
And he shows us that the entire Godhead is very much involved in seeing the loss found. Look at the story that Jesus told. Once again, there's several scriptures. The first one is Jesus and lost sheep. The Son of God in the Godhead, in the Trinity, the Son. Jesus, the shepherd, looking for the lost sheep. And go ahead, if you would, and read, and pass. you'll be passing that mic a lot here. Let's just keep it going. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. (laughs) I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay, just so you make sure we, he, we understand what he's talking about. He says, I'm telling you a story here, but what I'm really talking about are sinners getting saved, born again. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus is very involved in this. By the way, I'm told in, that uh, whenever the shepherd would find the straying sheep, that the shepherd takes that sheep, breaks the legs of that little lamb so that it can't run off. It's partially disciplined, but then carries it for the next several weeks. And during this time of healing, that sheep becomes very, very close to the shepherd. And so it's actually an act of love, while at the same time an act of discipline. But the shepherd goes after the one. He leaves the 99 healthy. He says, look, there are people that need me. There's lost people. Sometimes our focus can be so much on the saved. And God's saying, look, they've got a lot. There's people out here that don't even know me. They're lost. Eternity. And the Godhead, we're, we're committed to this. We want you to be committed to it. So we see that the Son is committed to it. The Holy Spirit is the lost coin. Or the light. And if, as soon as you get through writing, if you'll go ahead and read the scriptures and pass it on down. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the shepherd goes after the lost sheep. The Son of God's involved. The light looks for the lost coin. I believe symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says, oh yeah, and the Father, he's in on this too. And he starts to talk about what we've often called the prodigal son. And what we're going to do here, we're going to have a little fun with this. We may have to rush it at the end but uh, because we've got a few points after it, so I may move us along a little quicker, not as much discussion. I just want you 
when you read, for example, verse 11 and 12, and this time we'll let you read the section. Uh, and then try, tell me what R you think would fit in there. We'll have a little fun with it because these are all going to be R's. All right? Ah, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Father, lost son. Thank you. Always keep me on, on track. All right, verse 11 and 12. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Okay, what R do you think would fit in there? Anybody. And I can only have a, literally we're going to have to kind of rush through this, unfortunately. So. Real estate, that'd be a good one. Rebellious? What's that? Reward? Any of those would, could work. We're going to go ahead and put it in here, rebellious. Rebellious. The Bible says, a, a, phrase, a scripture you can put down, Isaiah 53, I think it's verse 5. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. The younger son was basically rebelling, saying, I want nothing to do with you, Dad. Give me my money. I'm out of here. Just give me my money. I'm out of here. So it was really an act of rebellion. All right? Now, the next section, verse 14, 15, 16, and part of 17 is what it will be. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 13. Let's do that one. Let's see, mine are flipped from what I just did for you. My Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Okay, what do you see in this one? Anybody? Rowdy. Rowdy, I like that. I like that, rowdy. All right, what we had was I, I found reckless. One, one of the versions actually uses the word riotous living. So he used it in reckless living. Ah, now, what does the Bible say about sin? Does it say, does anywhere in the Bible say that sin is pleasurable? Yes. Yeah, it actually does. In Hebrews, it says sin is pleasurable for a season. What the enemy doesn't tell him is what the end of sin is, which is always death. It's always horrible. It's always horrible. So I, I think, personally, the kid was living it up. I think he probably, you know, I have nothing to prove this. I'm just basing it on things I've seen in real life. I think he probably had lots of friends, as long as he had money. I think he had lots of friends. He was probably driving, riding the nicest chariot. Probably had a lot of women around. It was righteous. It was wild living. It was wild the same way kids could be wild today. He was enjoying it and living it up. The problem is the pleasure, sin is pleasurable for a season. There is always a repercussion to sin. And it always ultimately ends in death if not repented of. Was there going to be a repercussion to this? Absolutely. All right, now we'll read that next section, 14 through 17. After he had spent everything... There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him out into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then he came to his senses. Wow. It's almost sad. I mean, the, the kid who was living it up, the kid who was wild parties, 
He went through it. He went through it all. It's all gone. And now what's he doing? Oh, I like that. You guys are already giving me the R's. Okay, yeah. Remembering, realizing. Reality. Reality check. All these would be good. Um, you know, these are really good. You guys are coming up with great points. And one of them was the one that I did have up there. Whoops. Realize. Realize. He was suddenly realizing. Now, you know, the thing is, when I look at this particular one, what, what did he end up doing? Where did his sin end up depositing him? According to these scriptures, we just. He was in a pig pen. He's probably a Jew. What were the pigs to the Jew? They were off limits. In other words, this wasn't just what we would consider a dirty, crappy job. This was probably like the lowest of jobs for a Jew. Again, Jesus. He knew exactly. He's picking his words carefully. The boy ended up in a pigsty, working. But it's worse than that. He's hungry. What does he end up eating? He's eating the very slop that the pigs are eating. The word realize, somebody once told me, and you can write this down, realize is a place where you finally come up with Real eyes. You're finally seeing things for the way they are. This boy, as painful as it was, this was necessary for him to realize. So realize gives you real eyes. For the first time, he's now seeing with clarity, and it's not pretty. He's seen himself for what he is. And it's not pretty. All right. It's just a, we're, we're going to let you have the next two, but read them one at a time. All right, Spencer, because this next one's so short. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. What R do you get there, maybe? Regret. Oh, I like that. Regret. I like that. I have remorse. Same idea. He's got remorse. He's feeling bad. Now, there are two types of sorrow, though. Two types of sorrow. One sorrow is you're sorry you got caught. You're not really sorry for what you did. You're sorry you got caught. The other is you are sorry for what you did. The Bible says that that sorrow leads to the next R. Go ahead and read that. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. I will set out and go back. In other words, he's now turning. What is turning? That's what repentance is. Repentance is turning from the crud, turning from the shame, turning from the sin. And I'm going to go back to my father with a prayer of repentance. His prayer had three parts. It's important. What are the three parts? I have sinned. What's the second part? I'm not worthy. Those are both true. What's the third part? 
Make me, I'm willing to be like one of your hired men. It's way better than what I am now. I'll just be a servant. Make me as one of your hired men. Now, I want you to remember those three parts because it's important. All right, Steve, we'll probably have you read more than just this next one too because you also have a one-liner here. But go ahead and read first that one line. So he got up and went to his father. I'm going to give you this one. He returned. He returned. It's part of repentance. I'm turning from sin, and I'm turning toward God, and I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of my father. I mean, the father could have said, I have nothing for you. I mean, you spent all of yours. You spent it all. I have nothing for you. And that all would have been true. Ah, go ahead, Steve, read that. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm going to give you the R's because of the time here. Ran. Who did the running? The father did the running. I love this story. The father, I have a feeling, I can't prove this, but I think that every day he went out so far to see if his son was returning. He probably heard reports. He probably heard that he had spent it all. He maybe even knew that he was over at so-and-so's farm feeding the pigs. There's an important lesson here. But he didn't rescue him prematurely, which is what parents often do, and which is what sometimes caregivers, ministry people often do. We rescue people prematurely. We don't allow the real pain to settle into where they realize what they've done and truly repent. The father never went and rescued him, but the moment he saw his son, that he had turned and was coming to him, the father said, that's it. And he ran to him. He ran to him. Man, do you see the father's heartness? Same as the Holy Spirit looking for the lost coin. Same as the shepherd looking for that lost sheep. The father ran to him. Not only did he run to him, but he restored him. Now, remember what we said? How many parts did the son rehearse to his prayer? How many parts did he rehearse? Three parts. How many parts did the father let him say until he cut him off? No, he said some of it. Two of them. Father, I have sinned. The father let him say that. I'm not worthy. The father let him say that, but he was never allowed to say, make me as one of your hired servants, because the father does not make hired servants. He restores fully to true sonship. So he cut him off. Now again, Jesus is telling the story. Everything pinpointed. The wise shepherd is going, listen to this. The whole Godhead is involved in this. You've got to realize how important this is. This idea of winning people who are lost. Listen, the shepherd, the son's involved in it. The Holy Spirit's involved. The father's involved in it. Let's go ahead and read the next section. And again, I'll just throw the R's up there. Because I do want to get to the very end. I don't know who's next. Fred, is that you? Or Spencer? 
But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. All right. There's some R's that you can see in here real easily. What are they? Robe. What would robe represent? What does he put out? What does Jesus put on us when we come back? Or the Father puts on us when we come back? He puts a robe of what? A robe of righteousness on us. And then we have the ring of relationship. He put a ring on his finger. You're related to me. And I just want everybody to know I'm bringing my son back. He's not a servant. He's my son. And then he put new shoes. I thought, what R can I put? So I put Reeboks. (laughs) Gave him new Reebok sandals, which has to do with a new walk, a brand new walk. Now you're going to start walking new, son, because you have realized now. You realize what sin has done. Now you're, you know, I could punish you, but you've already been punished. I could shame you, but you've already been shamed. I'm restoring you. Because you, I know you've repented. You have realized. And so I am going to give you... Now you're going to walk a new walk. And not only that, they threw a party. They threw a party for him. Now, I'm going to have to... I want to get to the end of this, so I'm just going to tell you the next two R's, and we're going to skip these next two sections of Scripture. But what did the older son do? The older son pouted. The older son got jealous. The older son... You know what? And you can kind of understand. He didn't do anything wrong. Here comes Junior back, goes off, spends all his money, and old dad's all excited, throwing a party for him. But what he didn't realize is the heart of God. Is it possible for some believers? I've lived for God all my life. And then some lousy sinner comes in here, gets saved, and everybody gets all excited. I'm serving week after week. They don't get all excited about that. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and I'm doing this. I'm... I don't even get recognized. But, oh, let a sinner come in and get saved. Man, everybody, woo, wonderful. But it's how quickly we can lose what is really the heart of God. God says, you don't understand. This is my heart. My heart is after the lost. I'll leave the 99 righteous. Not that I don't love the 99, but I already have them. All that I have is yours, older son. It's always been yours. Why are you jealous? Reminds me of the first church that I pastored. And, and I was with a lot, mainly a lot of older people. And so I was also the youth pastor, started working with youth. God gave a huge revival among the youth. They were coming in left and right. It was the church was exploding, but mainly of youth. And so some of the older people complained to the board. Said he he's not I want to be visited. I want to spend time with me. So the board said, We're going to prohibit you from doing anything with the youth. So that ministry died. Just kind of petered out. And I looked at them and I said, how long have those people that have been complaining, how long have they been saved? They should be doing what I'm doing. And yet they're still eating. Ah, sometimes we forget the heart of God. Resentment. 
And he had to remind him, all that I have is yours. Listen, the goal of every person, the goal for God, for every person, I'm going to go to your family. Michael's a baby. Needs a lot of attention. As he gets older, the older he gets, the less attention he gets. He becomes a teenager. You still love him as much, but now he's got more responsibility, less attention. And the day will come when he leaves the home. (laughs) Okay, praise God. The day will come when he'll leave the home and he'll be doing it now. He'll be raising the kids. Because that's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to grow up. Now, once in a while, I'll still call my parents. I mean, they're still there if you need a counsel here or there. But it's not like, Mom, Dad, every day. Mom, Dad, you know. No, you grow up. So our goal is to grow up the saints so we can all go out and do what is the heart of the entire Godhead, and that's saving the lost. All right, hang with me. As usual, fasten your seatbelts as we fly through the very end of this. Why is this so important? Because it's not just the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's call to the lost. It's our call. And when I say our call, I mean everyone in this room. We are all called to reach out to the lost. All of us. Yeah, but my ministry is this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You may have a specialized ministry in this area. My ministry is a pastor, so I do a lot of discipling. But my call is still to reach out to the lost. This is every believer, every mature believer's responsibility to reach out to the lost. It's our call. What does the Bible call us? And these are right in your notes, so I didn't put them up there. What are the four things? And I only listed four. There's several other things. You guys yell them out to me. What does it call us? Salt. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. We are witnesses. And we are ambassadors. By the way, and I skipped a very important scripture Look at this one, 2 Corinthians 5.19. Then God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. In other words, He says, I'm giving you guys this message to take out there. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they'll still be involved. They're going to go with you. They're going to be right there with you. Their hearts are in this. But He wants our hearts to be in this. We... I believe that in these last days, God's going to bring the church back for a fervor for the lost to see them come to Jesus Christ. Because it's been missing for far too long. Far too long. There's no substitute for us going and telling. An assignment this week, and this will be a quiz question next week. Tell me why not sending Bibles is not enough. I'll just send Bibles. That's not enough. Acts 8, Acts 9, visions, or even God Himself is not enough. Acts 10, angels will do it. No, angels, that's not enough. What, when you read Acts 8, 9, and 10, read those over, and then next week be prepared to say what common thread they had, what common answer they all had. Paul said in Romans, I am obligated. This, this, this could preach right here. 
one of these days, one of you guys preach this message. Just tell me, tell me, call me up and say, Pastor, I want to preach on Romans chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. I want to do it one of these times. Just look for the common thread that gave them the answer of Acts 8, 9, and 10. The keys there, little hints are Bibles wasn't enough, vision God himself wasn't enough, angels wasn't enough. Paul says in Romans 1, 14 through 16, I'm obligated. I'm obligated to the lost. That's the context. I'm eager to win the lost. And I'm not ashamed of the answer for the lost. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And the only thing I will tell you, the only thing you and I can take with us to eternity, we can't take our fancy buildings, we can't take our guitars, we can't take our, our cars, our homes, our businesses, our this or that. The only thing I can take with me, what is my hope and joy, a crown of rejoicing, Paul said. What is my hope or joy, a crown of rejoicing when Christ appears? What is it? Is it not you? I mean, you're going to be my hope and joy and crown of rejoicing at that time. The people that I was able to touch. And it's not just salvation, but it certainly includes salvation to a large degree. Now, it's a very final point. Can you hang with me just a couple minutes? I've gone over and I apologize. Effective evangelism. I just want to give you these because they kind of say for themselves. On Sunday, we're going to be talking about Part of that word, prophetic word from last Sunday, uh, where we said that there'll be open doors for some people this year, and then we're going to do another message on the wilderness. And we're going to talk about open doors, but 1 Corinthians 16:9 says there's an open door for effective ministry. I'll tell you, this week I haven't been able to get rid of that, that phrase, effective ministry. God wants our ministries to be effective. He wants them to be effective. I mean, he's vested in them. And so when it comes to winning souls, he wants us to be effective at it. He wants us to be good at it. He's a, he that wins souls is wise. That's what the scripture says. But he wants us to be good at it. First Corinthians 16.9. And that's like a reference scripture. That won't show up. In, reference scriptures will never show up on the quizzes. But they're, they're good to know. So you can reference them later. So what is effective evangelism? What are the effective forms of evangelism? One, relationship evangelism. And you can look at the statistics later. You can look at them right now. It'll take you a second. Walk-ins. These were people who ended up in churches, and they said, how would you get here? Three to four percent were walk-ins. Three to four percent came because of a program they heard. Three to five percent came because they heard that Pastor Rich was there. Uh, two to three percent because of a special need they had in their life, 1% to 2% because somebody visited them, uh, 3% to 5% because their kids could receive ministry in Sunday school, 77 to 85%, depending on the church, were there because of a relative or friend. Relationship evangelism is one of the most powerful, especially in America. You just form a friendship, and you ultimately win them to Jesus. In the Bible, power evangelism is what is focused on. Power evangelism. I haven't done... Somebody, Randy Clark, I think it was, uh, said that he made a statement, and I think he was quoting John Wimber, but I'm not sure, that there's not a salvation that happened in the Bible that was not accompanied by some other miracle. 
by some power of energy. In other words, all the salvations in the Bible. Now, I've not actually confirmed that, but I can tell you I've thought about it. Every time I say this, i thought about it, and I can think of, yeah, oh, yeah, miracle. Oh, yeah, word of knowledge. Oh, yeah, healing took place there. Oh, yeah. And it's amazing, the power of God, how it attracts people. Oh, God's real to where they want salvation. And then knowing how to start and finish. I wish I had time for this. Um, because when I was in high school, I was, I was so on fire for God. I was so on fire for God. And God, I had the privilege, I had the honest to goodness privilege of, of leading a few people to Jesus in high school. I witnessed the I bet thousands. I don't think that would be evangelistically speaking at all. I think thousands. I was just so, I couldn't tell enough people about Jesus. But I only had the privilege of leading a few to the Lord. And I went to Bible college. And a guy said, I want to share with you a plan on how you can lead people to Jesus. And I was very resistant. I'll say the word resistant. That's a nice word. Probably a little rebellious. I was just like, no, no, I'll be led by the Spirit, and I'm, I'm, I'm zealous for the Lord. But I stayed, I listened, and I decided to give it a try. I wrote down the simple plan that he gave. And uh, he explained a little bit more. The first three, basically, you're earning the right to be heard later, and you're finding out if they're a Christian without asking them if they're a Christian. Because if you ask somebody in America, are you a Christian? It's changed a little bit now. A lot of people say, yeah. And then the more you talk to them, you go, they're not a Christian. But now you're going to offend them if you tell them they're not a Christian. So you're finding out if they're a Christian by asking them certain questions. And then you eventually share with them the plan of salvation. And he gave us the scriptures to share. I started using that. And in a matter of six months, I led way more people to salvation, starting it, finishing it, led them to the Lord on streets, in the plane, in restaurants, wherever. Led way more people to the Lord than I had through all my zealous years in high school. Now, I think I touched a lot of people in high school. But I didn't know how to start, and I didn't know how to finish. So I'd encourage you to take a look at it. And if you want to know a little bit more about it later. You're earning a right to be heard. You're kind of letting them talk. If the church, I'm going to read this and pray, and I apologize for going over. I really do try to keep this day 30 because I don't want people to, to uh, you know, later on go, oh, gosh, it's going to go so long. So here we go. Yeah, Betsy, she was the one. She, she kept us at 830. We never went over. I'm going to read the conclusion and pray. If the church doesn't look and act like a hospital, then it has lost its way. That's how strong I feel about this. I think that's how strong God feels about it. It's as simple as that. Pray that God will continue to use us to make up this local expression called Valley View as a hospital to the lost and hurting. And then pray, God, what's my part in that? Father, I just ask that you would take the words that we've heard today and I pray that they will find good soil, that we will be disciples eager to obey, and eager to do whatever you have for us. Lord, I again commit myself in a fresh way. Use me. Use me 
Lord, to be part of the healing salve for those who are hurting and a light to those who are lost. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, once, once again, if we could have the brothers, some of the brothers, just four tables, I really appreciate it. Uh, grab them, put them in that back room.